The Goodies Pirate Podcast. I'm Dave. I'm Richard. I'm Tom. And this week we're talking about the movies, also known as the British film industry, or sometimes the black and white western epic movie. First broadcast on the 10th of February 1975 on a Monday at 9pm. So this is the start of the fifth season? Yes. This is the start of the fifth season. We'll have a chat about that later on in the episode. Look, this is an episode that I remember being on when I was a kid and absolutely not getting at all not getting the references, not getting what they were doing, and basically being bored. Like, right. really not enjoying this one at all. As an adult, it's very, very clever and very, very enjoyable. It's not my favourite, but there's a lot to like about this. What do you guys think? I think it's excellent, and Tim, Graham and Bill probably disagree with you because I think it's their favourite episode of the entire run. Uh, I think so, but I'm probably a little bit like you. When I first saw it as a kid, the initial part probably wasn't that interesting because you didn't get a lot of the references because they're referencing directors and films and that sort of That's stuff. That's right. But I've always really loved the final the final film sequence where they're just doing the, the movie mashups and the silent comic and that that is fantastic. And I must be watching it now as an adult, I actually think the whole is brilliant. Mm. Yeah, look very, very clever and very, very funny. It's no wonder really it won them their second rise at Montreux. Yeah, look, that's a good point. We'll, we'll talk a bit about that as well as we get into the latter part of the episode. The episode opens with them watching movies. Yes, yeah, so Bill watching a silent classic. Yes. Where's Graham at this point? I'm sitting at the back reading a copy of The Goodies File. Yes, so that was actually a proof edition of the hardback version, which was released in October 74. So this would have been filmed slightly before that. And Bill has a lemon sherbet. Oh, okay. I didn't notice that. Good pickup. Mm. Yep. Lemon Sherman there. So they make a few jokes about the film industry. Lavatory Meadows being WC Fields. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the pocket camera. The, I pocket, love camera. the pocket camera. <laughs> yeah, look, that's very clever. But I guess the whole premise of the episode that they set up here is that concept of the decline of the British film industry. Yes. In that it's struggling both in terms of money and in terms of perceived quality. And this is now where Hollywood's really just showing them up. It's probably not all that long after this, because when George Lucas came over to film Star Wars, where he chose L Street because he could use his own crew, that that place was basically deserted. Mm. Uh, when he said there hadn't been a uh, film made there for, I think, a year or two. Mm. And it's really not until you get to the major government in the 90s where they institute the British Lottery that basically starts funding UK movies again, where you start to get that new renaissance, and now you've got a whole lot of stuff coming out of the UK. And you have been, you know, it's really solidly set up. But that period, basically from when this was made through for the next 20 years, was just, well, moribund is maybe too strong a word, but there wasn't a lot coming out. Mm. And it certainly was big in the media that this was the decline of, you know, the, the loss of empire, you know, if you like, you know, the decline of the movie industry, the Yanks are taking over that as well. You know, thank God we've still got the BBC making television for now. Um, <laughs> Before they started outsourcing. Yeah, that's I right. mean, Kubrick hadn't made anything since A Clockwork Orange there. I don't think it makes anything until it does The Shining in America. No, probably not. Yeah, there's, there's certainly a lack of stuff in there. And again, as we see as we get into the, the episode, we'll discuss it. Directors who are perhaps of long standing now making quite esoteric films rather than stuff that's going to be big at the box office. And that whole debate about, well, is the point of the industry to make something that is 
uh, in quotation marks, good, or something that sells tickets. Yes. So they go into that, and then they decide to buy the British film industry. Yes, well, it starts off, they buy one set of studios, but then it becomes basically they take over the yes. entire British film industry. Yes. They then have the media announcement of their taking it over, where they have very large cigars. And very large noses. <laughs> yes. Now, is the nose simply there to hold the cigar, or was that a more pointed reference? Well, it's meant to be low grade, I thought. I thought so, too. Ah, okay. So is it meant to be? I mean, look, they, they do do a bit of the, you know, the classic producer-director thing where they're wearing the fur coats, yes. and when they go on the hat, they're wearing you know, the jumpers, and the, yes. uh, when they actually get onto the film set. Yeah. Okay, so that was more a, a, a look at an individual rather than... Yeah, I mean, look, they do then obviously make the joke that they, as they come out, each one's got a successively larger cigar and larger nose, yeah. but... Okay, well, that, that makes sense, that makes sense. Which, of course, then leads us into the scene where they have all the directors, all the directors <laughs> in a room and start treating them like school kids and they're going to go away and mark their work for relevance. <laughs> yes, and, and again, I can get why as a kid this would make no sense because none of the names there, you know, if you're eight... You have no idea who these people are. No. Andy Warhol, Kubrick, Ken Russell, you know, those sort of names that now we would recognise. No, as a kid you would have no idea who they were or what any of their output was. No, well, you know, the idea that Stanley Kubrick's the annoying kid up the back, you know, <laughs> you know and, and Andy Warhol's just trying to take their photo. All the time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah which is, you know, very, very clever. <laughs> they then go in the watch to watch the films. Death in Bogdan. <laughs> Which was a rip-off of Death in Venice. It is. And look, as somebody who's... Look, I, I quite enjoy movies. I probably see... You I know, thought you were going to say someone had been to Bogner. <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't been to Bogner. Look, no, I mean, I, I would go to, you know, 50 movies a year. I occasionally have the festivals, that sort of thing. I recognise exactly what Death in Bogner was. I've seen films that are basically very, very similar. And they're meant to be extremely clever and artistic. And I just... Well, what they say? Death in Bog, after the chap actually dies, it's another well, the 90, 90 minutes. minutes. That's right. And, and it is Graham on the beach, apparently. That, that is Graham who shuffles along and then falls over. Oh, okay. Look, well, that, that sort of highlights it really well. Well, they watch The Life of Pablo Casal, which is the old chap playing the... Oh, the yes. Ken Russell film. Yes. Yes. Yes, and then there's a striptease which reveals a clown. Yes, mm. which is a very clever satire of, I think, what Ken Russell probably became known for rather than what he originally was known for, which is that sort of, not titillation, but I think Ken Russell had a reputation as being a very sexual director and also a very weird director. Yeah, he was a lot of TNA, I think. In, um, yeah, so. yeah, he would, he would go places that other British directors maybe wouldn't. Wouldn't go. And then there's the Kung Fu movie they watch because it's too violent they have no interest in it, which I guess is, is presaging uh, Ecky Thump when we get a little later on. Yeah, and is it also a reference to the fact that the, you know, all those sort of Hong Kong Kung Fu movies were big at the time? And Yes, well, it is. It's the rise of the Kung Fu movie, the, yeah. the, the Chop Socky movie. Yeah, which you know, the, 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 the traditional people in the industry would not be seeing as proper re- British no, films. no. Or a worthwhile film, either. Yes, which of course leads to them sacking all the directors and deciding to make a film themselves. Now, they're at about seven minutes into the episode at this point, I had. <laughs> this is basically the first, yeah. Well, I, I had that exact note here as well, that they're seven minutes in and they're basically just into making movies now. Yes, they've now taken over the entire film industry. Yes, but the entire episode now is really just a variation on them making a movie. And and there's, there's two main iterations of it, the one where they're 
being the director than the one which them as star and director. Yes. But basically this whole episode, bar the first seven minutes, is that one long, very long sequence. Yes, well, I suppose then they take over the film and the, the film that's in production at the studios they've acquired is Macbeth. Now, of course, because they're concerned about the, the sex and violence and they want to make a, a clean movie, they trim Macbeth. To half a page. Yes, yeah. <laughs> scene, into Macbeth. <laughs> <laughs> I did note at least one of the scenes they're filming is actually dialogue from Hamlet. Ah, uh, yes. But most of it is Macbeth. And then, of course, you have the actor who's playing Macbeth who comes on and misses his cue, keeps missing his cue, mm. and then when they decide, sod it, we're not going to do it, then comes on and starts giving them. <laughs> <laughs> and lots of little jokes in there, like the boom mic coming into shot. I think they made every classic blunder that was there, you know, when they retitled Macbeth meets Truffaut, well, the Wonder Dog. Yes, well, that was the next bit I had, is then, of course, <laughs> they decide they'll make their own version, which is, yes, Macbeth meets Truffaut, the Wonder Dog. <laughs> Well, you don't actually see them make true for the Wonder Dog, of course. That's their thing. And then, of course, they come into the premiere. Mm. Forgive my ignorance at this point. Was true for the Wonder Dog actually a thing, or did they just make that up? No, it's a send-up of, I think, Champion the Wonder Horse, who was a star of some of those animal movies, I think, in the 50s and 60s. Plus, I guess you've got the classic Lassie stuff, yeah. where, of course, Lassie is the canine hero. And I guess in the 70s, you then get Benji. Yes, and of course, brilliantly set up in Australia in the 90s with Charlie the Wonder Dog. Yes. <laughs> Starring Charles Bud Tingle and the Piss Week Kids. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Light Show. Thank you, Light Show, yep. So, uh, you know, a, a wonderful goldmine for humour that the goodies tap very, very well. Yes, which then leads us to the section where we get to the premiere. <laughs> yeah, uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> Look, that starts with the shot, and it's clear the audience doesn't know where that joke's going because there's the tracking shot of age of golden cinema woman movie star tracking you know from behind into the yes. room with the full wig and dress and everything and the audience clearly doesn't know what's going on because when they revealed that it's tim they go absolutely berserk yes and it's tim in drag yet again yes that's how the audience sees him as lady Macbeth. yes if they see you like that they'll have you locked up is <laughs> graham's retort <laughs> which is very good because you do get that wonderful bit of graham looking like he's playing the sensible character, berating Tim for dressing up, and then he takes off his jacket and he, he's in the effete director's yes. gear with the wig. And then in comes the poor man's Richard Harris. <laughs> <laughs> and look, I love the fact that they don't even just sort of, you know, do a version of Richard Harris. It's just, oh God, he's Richard Harris. <laughs> Where's me film? I want to see me, me film. film. <laughs> But you then get more animal cruelty where he sits on the dog, jumps oh. on the dog, and then tries to give it a swig out of his whiskey bottle. <laughs> yeah, look, that's uh, that's a really good scene. And it's playing on the strength of the goodies in that it's Tim in drag, it's Graham sort of doing that physically funny feet character, and, and Bill being a violent drunk. <laughs> <laughs> it plays to their strengths, but it's really, really effective. Yeah, that is really well done. Then we see Macbeth meets Truffaut the Wonder Dog. <laughs> In all its glory. <laughs> I must admit, I think that's hilarious. You know, Graham as the ghost who sort of stumbles around and falls off the set. And then they're true by the Wonder Dog who won't do anything, so you get to the toy on wheels. Yes, yes. Oh, there's some really funny stuff in there. Uh, look, I haven't got a lot of notes in here because I don't know how you write notes about something like no, that. No, you're probably too busy. <laughs> I was too busy laughing. Well, that, that as well. I mean, but it's all visual. You tie, the, tie the piece of meat of Bill's hand and the doctor sets on him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, most of it is visual stuff and it's really clever visual stuff. It is. And it, Is this a dagger I see before me? No, 
it's true, though. The one the dog, the dog just <laughs> the dog launches at him. him. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess having decided that that film hasn't worked quite how they wanted it to, they vowed that they're never going to do this again. Never going to work together ever, ever again, again, or make another film. Actually, initially. Yes. And then proceed to make their own epics. Yes. Which begins that whole sequence of the epic film where Graham wants to make a western, Tim wants to make an old school biblical epic, (laughs) and then Bill, in just a wonderful piece of character, decides he wants to make a silent black and white film, which includes the joke of painting everything black and white. No No. wonder they went to (laughs) colour. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Plus, of course, you can't talk, but or fast. Yeah. Building almost falls on him. Not a sound. <laughs> so then they basically go into their final film sequence. Now, I've written one very large note here, which is just simply three words. It just says, Bill is great. Because I think of all, look, all of them are good in that sequence. But I think Bill is by far the outstanding star of that. Him in the black and white makeup, doing the silent comedian stuff. He's really, really good yeah, at he that. He is really good. I must admit, that, that probably is the best. I mean, you have... The scenes, obviously, where you know they're, they're shooting the Western and the Roman Legion, the four Roman Legion <laughs> army of four comes out of the, the saloon. That mixing up of the biblical epic and the Western is funny, but when Bill then comes in with the pies, that just takes it to a whole new level. Yeah. Like, that's really, really funny. But I mean, it's, it's full of sequences like that. I mean, there's a bit where Bill, you know, does the classic hanging from the window ledge, and yes. then Tim comes through fighting the lion. Yeah. Yes. Falls back through the window. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and he sort of sits and does a, oh, well, that shot's ruined, and then falls backwards through the window. Yes, uh, the bit where the Ten Commandments come out and they smack him around the head with them. <laughs> All of those little things. The, the next segment mode I had here was the sequence where they go to the classics department and then out comes Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, and Ooh. Laurel and Hardy. Yes. Yeah, the guy playing Stan Laurel is really good. Mm-hmm. Like, he really looks like him. The guy playing Chaplin's tramp, look, I mean, that's basically just a guy in the tramp set makeup. Yes. It doesn't actually look that much like Chaplin. But yeah, clever stuff. And interestingly enough, I don't know how you guys feel. If they did that today, would you expect today's modern audience to get all those references? Because back then, clearly everybody got who these silent comics were, what all the references were. I don't know if that maybe, people have that literacy today. Maybe not Buster Keaton. Perhaps. I, I think Charlie Chaplin's probably universal enough. I mean, everybody sort of knows roughly that. that you know, the the, the, the oh, tramp. Yeah, I, I reckon you almost have to show it to art students, you know, that, that are studying something like this in college, because it's mm. a lot of it, I think, would go over. Probably over a general audience's head. As I said, I mean, everybody, I, I think Charlie Chaplin's tramp character is, is probably. Yeah, that, that, mm. that's the one you would um, get. And I think Laurel and Hardy probably are still big enough known, maybe, that, that you might get. I mean, there's. No? Look, I think maybe people might know the names, but would they know their works? Yeah, more, more so than actually know what they did mm. in their careers that all of this was drawn upon. Yeah, okay. Um, had the opportunity to talk to Bill and Graham when they were here 12 years ago. and Because I showed the clips of the movies at, at the yep. show. And uh, sort of like, what I really liked about the movie's episode was not only did they do the barn front falling and they're standing in the middle of it, Buster Keaton came he out. Come in, yes. But not only did he come in, he came out and he took notes on how to do it. Yes, that's right. <laughs> and he goes, both Graham's, he goes, you know, somebody, thank God somebody's finally picked up on that 25 years really? later. Because you know? that was one of the notes I had here, was yeah. that they not only do the stunt, but yes, Buster Keaton comes and in and then takes notes. Takes the notes, yeah. There's other references in there too, like when Graham's doing his Western, 
and they have to shoot out not a lot of blood, but there's mm. that peck and pass sort of slow fall to the ground. Yeah, the bit with Graham singing the Western song on the back of the fake horse. Yes. Mm. But the stuff that I think is really the highlight, or at least it was for me, was when they get into the studio and stuff, or the three cinemas. In, oh, in, yes. in, in The cinemas inside oh, each other. That, the photography there is really well done. Yeah. When you had the truck and the film started of the truck yeah. coming towards the camera and sort of like diving out of the way, you know, you just... Yep. Um, Bill's character picking Tim up out of the thing and then dropping, dropping him. him. Yep. All of that, I mean, not only is it clever in terms of the writing, it's clever in terms of the acting, mm. but the film trickery for basically what is a 30-minute comedy in 1975... It's amazing. Yeah, it is. There's clearly been a lot of time and effort spent on this. A lot of love has I gone did, into this I one. I did, did, did a bit of research because when I saw that uh, again recently for the podcast, I immediately went to Blazing Saddles. If you oh, yes. The end of Blazing Saddles yeah. and it's that mashup with the Western and the musical and everything else. And I'm thinking, you know, what, what was the timeline of all that? Because Blazing Saddles came out in Britain in 1974. However, it, it didn't get released there until June 74 and they were filming this in June 74. Right. So they would have written the script prior to that. So I think it's just one of those happy coincidences mm. Mm. of that idea cross-pollinating uh, by that. And, and there's also stuff in here that would be picked up as well by the Muppets, particularly some of the visual jokes with the, you know, the ending. Mm. Actually, again, in stuff like the Muppet movie, The Great Muppet Caper, those sort of things. So it really is quite iconic in that sense. One thing that I did note, though, is that really isn't an ending other than the fact that the end shows up. They just basically just decide that's enough gags. No, that's that's the night I had. I, I think we sort of hit the thirty minute mark, it's on roll of credits, basically. Yeah. Yep. The end has appeared and we'll grab hold yeah. of it and we'll fly mm. off into the sunset. Yeah. But but that doesn't matter because it doesn't need it. No. But it is it is clever as you say, having the end float off into the sunset. Mm. But yeah, it, it is just a case of well we'll just we'll just stop now because this is where we, we need to. Yeah. As I say, I haven't got a lot of notes here because there's not not a lot of stuff but it's just really clever no well sort of going through and listing all the references you pick up all the way through it i mm. just if you haven't watched this one for a while look it's on dvd watch it it's great yeah the scene where they shoot julie andrews where they come out and do the hills of <laughs> the sound of music yes um, I, I paul hogan did a takeoff of that joke a few years later it's done as part of a, a clint eastwood takeoff with a fistful of ravioli um and no they have the sound of music it talks about his love for one woman and she comes over the hill, the hills are alive, and he shoots her. They ask for Sophia Loren. Yeah, that's right, yes. That's the one. <laughs> okay, I'm not familiar with that. And then he goes on and he shoots, he shoots the director, and then he shoots the voiceover guy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, not familiar it's, with it's that It's on one. YouTube if you want to look it up. Fair enough. All right, well, in that case, we'll move to our regular segments, and being the start of Series 5, we're officially retiring our ad segment. Yes, well, I suppose there's, there's the stuff in string, but that's uh, still another season away, so... That's, yes, and that's that, a whole episode on ads that's yes. right it's not actually an ad segment it's just an episode so goodbye to our ad segment yes fare thee well it served us well tropes and first well you mentioned julie andrews yes it's another julie andrews joke and another very hostile julie andrews joke like they yes. shoot her yes they do you know you would you just wouldn't think of making a joke these days about shooting Julie Andrews, but clearly, clearly, as we keep saying, her perception in the 70s was yeah. very different to what it is now. The big one I had is, this is, of course, the first appearance of Tim's Union Jack waistcoat. That's what I had as well. It seems to be one of the things everyone remembers about Tim and his costume. It makes his first appearance here. Yes, no, that's a really important point. 
And of course, another important first is I believe that this is the first of what I guess you would call the classic opening title sequence. The goody goody yum yum. Goody goody yum yum. The sort of the, the faster paced yes. rock one. Which is what I think everyone remembers as being mm. the opening credits. But it, yeah, it really isn't until they're halfway through that it became the opening credits. This is now really where they are at their absolute peak this, yes. this, this year, this season. Yeah, I, I agree. And we'll talk about that shortly. Uh, and I guess this is probably where it start, really starts to, you know, see itself on its on your consciousness. Mm. Yeah, look, that, that's that's a good point. Anything from what could they get away with today? Probably Bill stamping on the poodle. There's a few references to Graham saying to Tim, you like it, you're peculiar, or you're a clapped out old queen. Yes, that was one I had, because there were three cuts made here in Australia. Uh, when it was screened on the ABC, there's one where they're watching the films and they, they say that the next film is by Russell and they say Jane Campbell Bertrand. And the, the bit that was cut is, let's hope it's the one with the big knockers. They go, oh, Bertrand. Yeah. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> yeah. The second one is, there's a bit there where Tim's talking to the directors in the room and just after he's told Andy Warhol to stop filming him, he then has a line about sex perversion and violence and, and he says, Warhol, I won't tell you again. There's that one, and then the third cut is when they're all watching uh, the Macbeth meets Truffaut, the Wonder Dog. <laughs> There's a section there, yes, where they're all starting to, to insult each other. And the bit that was cut here is uh, there was a bit about Tim being a clapped-out old queen. Yes. And then he says, well, thank you, at least I can act, which is more than I can say for you. Uh, and then he says, well, what's that supposed to mean? And he says, well, let's face it, darling, you're no Glenda Jackson, are you? <laughs> and, then, and then TBT says, oh, you bitch. <laughs> Oh, well, I think the version I had had that cut out because I didn't see any of that. So. Yes, no, it wasn't. So likewise, but uh, yeah, those are the cuts here. Yes, the, the other one I had is there's a, a section there during the when Tim first comes out dressed as, as Samson. Bill calls him Sambo. Yes. Which I, I really, I mean, although he's not blacked up, I don't think you could do that now, though. No, 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 I don't think so. so yeah, and then there was that last bit where a bomb explodes in Tim's face as Samson, and so he's got a black face. And so he reenacts the black and white minstrel show and dances himself off stage. Yes. Yes, definitely one you, well, it's one you wouldn't do today for all sorts of appropriate sensibilities, but beyond that, the reference wouldn't work today anyway. No, and actually considering by that point, I mean, we would be getting into the final years of of the last couple of years of the black and white minstrel show, and by this time it was drawing a lot of criticism. So it's it's actually probably a bit of a, a poor choice of joke to do anyway I would have thought not as poor as a choice later on in the goodies uh, no and, and the one they do after the black and white minstrel show has been axed <laughs> which we'll get to in a few weeks time yes. <laughs> gentlemen it's time for that segment where we talk about our favorite gags Richard have you got one this week I have well, I have one every week but uh, <laughs> I, I do I have a couple Graham is the ghost falling off the set when they're filming <laughs> Macbeth meets Truffaut the Wonder Dog I got a real laugh out of that and look, I would nominate the final film sequence, the final six or seven minute film sequence. Yeah. Okay, I'm actually going to go for a little visual gag, but it just had me in stitches. It's the bit where Tim and Bill have been arguing, then suddenly the door flies open, Graham goes to make a dramatic entrance, and the door flies shut in his face. And then it opens again, <laughs> and the, guns the guns are up. upwards. Look, that was a good bit to end it, but just, just that few seconds of Graham, hello, boom, and the door... It's just really, really funny, because it's... Oh, yeah, that, that, that was it for me. As I say, there's a lot of great, clever stuff, but I picked that one as my favourite. Yeah, look, I will join Richard in saying the, the last six or seven minutes, just the entire sequence of the chase right down to the Buster Keaton thing 
uh, especially the Buster Keaton thing. And outside of that, I did like the pocket movie camera. <laughs> you have <laughs> to wear the special pants. That's, that's right. <laughs> that was just so, so stupid. Sort of like, you know, yeah. And that was just so Graham as a, the prop comedian. Cool. So this being the opening episode of a season, we always make sure we talk about it, these season openers where the series is now. Look, there are some very broad comments that we can make at this point. I think one of them is that, would anybody disagree that Series 5 is really the point where you just get hit for hit classics week after week and is the peak of the goodies? Like, there's good stuff before, good stuff after, but is this is this classic, iconic goodies? I, I think Season 5 overall is probably their best season. Yes. Um, I think also, it, and as we said, it is them at their peak. I, I think it's also probably where they're at their peak in terms of their um, in terms of their profile and in terms of where they are in the national consciousness because this is obviously when they've moved into records this is when the books are coming out they're doing their appearances on top of the pops this is really you know the goodies are everywhere at this point the goodies file is on the shelves just yes. before this episode is aired Graham is reading a copy of it here, which is a prop yes. copy, because this was filmed in about June 1974. The book came out in uh, October, I think it was. The albums, we've got some singles out. We've got the goodies singles from the goodies in 74. So that that's there. So they had a, a number of songs, novelty songs, I suppose they really are. Mm. Well, the first album was, and um, we'll cover this when we do a record special, but the, the first album was actually songs from the series, wasn't it? Uh, it says the goodies sing songs from the goodies was its original title. Then that gets uh, renamed the world of the goodies a right. year later. But that is that is stuff it is. taken from the show. It is basically you had music from Snooze, from Hunting Pink, uh, Old Black Magic, Superstar, Camelot had some songs, Winter Olympics, Charity Bounce. If so, I were a pretty little sparrow, I'd <laughs> all day. Um, also, right. All Things Bright and Beautiful was covered in that uh, group of songs as well. Plus, they had a couple of singles that weren't included there with Father Christmas Do Not Touch Me. Um, let's just say, that's not one that they could do today. <laughs> no, I was about to say, that's a very unusual title for it. <laughs> it is. Uh, and that was backed up with the in-betweenies on single as well so yeah i think this this was the launching pad the goodies annual was out it's also worth noting i mean we touched on this very briefly in early discussion but in terms of recognition this is the episode that they get their second silver rose for yes which we haven't really talked about no we, we mentioned it with king kong's i think king kong's quite famous because that's the first time that they get an international award and this is the second and they come second again uh, on this occasion, it's not to something famous or notorious. It was cool. to an Italian program. The, well, it, might, it might have been famous in Italy. It might have been famous. It's certainly something we haven't heard of. You've got the name there, Tom? Oh, yes, but if I can pronounce it, we're in for a treat. And any Italian speakers, forgive us for a few seconds. Yes. It's, uh, the program was called Fatti e Fatacci. Oh! <laughs> yeah, so look, it did come second to an Italian show, but the fact that it's got another international award, I think, shows how big it is in stature. Within the series, I'm going to make a point, see if you agree with me. Since we had this discussion in Camelot in season four, we're now in season five, I think the big thing that's really come out of it and that has really brought it to where it is, is Bill Oddie. Because I think that, you know, we talked about how in the first season it was very much Graham Garden's performance that held everything together. Uh, Bill is there and he's good, but 
you know, then Tim sort of finds his character and he's there. And again, Bill's never bad in this stuff. But I think over the last half a dozen episodes particularly, you've really seen Bill Oddie just relax, find his character a bit more, uh, drive a few episodes. It started probably going all the way back to Superstar, which was right at the end of Series 3. Well, let's face it, that is Bill's episode. Yeah, that's right. And then across this last season, I think it's been Bill Oddie coming out and really finding his character that has finally completed... The, the, the threesome of the classic goodies? Oh, look, I'd agree with you on that. And I think it, it is because of that surrounding... Music was Bill. Getting the records, getting everything else. I think yeah. Bill's really just gone, right, this is mm. it. Whereas the books, uh, I think, were more Graham's domain. Yeah, probably. I think also you're probably at a point now they've obviously got a much better idea of how to write it. I know they have made the point now with the film sequences. They know exactly what they want to do with the film sequences. They don't waste any film. It's done. If the shot will look like this, it'll be composed like this. And I think they're now doing this with the episodes as well. They've got a really clear idea of what they want to do, a really clear idea of how the episode is structured. There's no meandering, no mucking around, nothing now. No. And, and now they've found their characters so effectively, they're working so well as a threesome, you see that slow retirement of the guest actor of the week. I mean, they've diminished a lot. We've spoken about this in a number of episodes over the last season. They've diminished to the point that, you know, we get episodes now completely without a guest cast. And, and we probably didn't even mention or note that effectively, other than a few extras dressed as directors yes. or, or cameramen, there's no guest star in this episode either. No. It's, it's just the three of them. And some of the stronger scenes are the three of them just playing off each other. And once again, they're acting on their own. So... We've got, we, we haven't retired completely, but we've certainly declined mm. the actor of the week. We've declined the idea of them being an agency that gets hired. It's now just them having adventures as, as three people. Although, I guess we do, they do get hired next week. So Oh, look, it, it certainly you know, isn't... It's not um, the end of it, but it's certainly a no. turning point. No, that's right. It, it's certainly a diminu- diminution of the, uh, yes. the, the original tropes. But, yeah, we're entering... A really good run. We were sitting down before this episode to sort of plot out our next lot of recordings, and I think we're all very excited by what's to come. Yes, I think so. Um, I think there are some great episodes coming up. With the possible exception of next week's. Oh, I don't want Clown Boris. Well, we can talk about that next week. <laughs> <laughs> but that's for next week. But that's for next week. Anything else we wanted to add? As I said earlier, if you haven't watched this one for a while, go and watch it. This is a great episode. I agree. I agree as well. Well, next week we'll be back to talk about the Clown Virus, but... Until then, why not take a walk in the Black Forest? You've been listening to the Goodies Pirate Podcast, the Australian podcast that puts the good in goodies. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please do leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode or your thoughts on upcoming episodes. So please drop us a line by email at pirategoodiespc at gmail.com. Send us a tweet at at pirategoodiespc or find us on Facebook at facebook.com stroke pirategoodiespc. Goodies, goody, goody, yum, yum. Temple of Samson, my latest epic. Get away. I'm well, sorry, mate. It's my room. Well, well first. tough, because... What are you doing? You've painted everything black and white. Certainly. I'm making a black and white film. <laughs> Don't be ridiculous. Oh, mate. This is a hard job. Oh, blimey. No wonder they went over to colour. <laughs>